Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4 is where we find ourselves in our verse-by-verse study through this wonderful book. And man, I'm loving this study. I've so enjoyed just studying personally. And, and there's so many things that the Lord is showing me again as I've read through this so many times. I've probably read Genesis 20, 30 times in my life. Uh, studied it many times, but not this in depth. And so I hope that you're enjoying and learning as we study together. Let's ask God's blessing on the word now that it's open. Father, we hold your word in our hands and we are so grateful that we have a sure and living word, that we have a, a word that will never fail or fade. We thank you, God, that its truth uh, speaks to us and really gives us understanding uh, in terms of the world that we live in. And I pray, Lord, as we study this uh, ancient people, the Genesis chapter 4, this really prehistoric people, the, these people that lived before the flood, and we realize how intelligent, how, how uh, creative they were, and at the same time, just, just filled with sin. And God, our society today, it's so filled with sin and sinners, and yet you give us your grace, and you've sent your son. And I pray, Lord, that as we study these passages and these pages of the book of Genesis, that we would really see our world in light of your word. And understand, Lord, that you've given and offered salvation, and there's always a remnant, there's always believers, there's always worshipers. And so teach us tonight as we now open your word, in Jesus we pray, amen. So here we are in chapter four, last week we discovered that um, after the firstborn, Cain, after Adam was created, then they, he and Eve have their firstborn, the first person born in the world is Cain, and Adam's family is truly shattered with Cain, as Cain kills his brother, his younger brother, Abel. So now we have this shattered family in chapter 4, and we have this uh, society that's growing, this city that's been built by Cain's offspring, millions that, that are there at this time. We're going to see many more millions by the end of chapter 4. So this ancient civilization that has so many people. But as I read this, I think the thing that I see the most, and I hope that you understand this is, as we go through this, is how quickly, since Adam and Eve have sinned, they've been cast out of the garden, and it's so quickly, I mean, there are hundreds of years in here, but quickly the, the world just spirals out of control, and, and it's just downhill. Paradise is immediately lost, and this society is plunged into the darkness of sin. That's really what we're seeing here in chapter 4. Again, this is the record or the history of God, God's history of civilization in a very unique time period, very interesting time period. It's the pre-flood. Here's the word. I shared it with you last week. It's anti, antediluvial, and it's anti meaning before, diluvium meaning deluge, so before the flood. This is this period of time. It's only written about here in the, the Genesis chapter 4. But this civilization that lived, millions of people that lived before the flood. We're going to get the flood. We're going to get to the flood. Actually, next week, chapter 6, 7, and 8 explains the flood and the drowning of all humanity because of their sin. That's at the beginning of chapter 6. And God sees the evil intention of their heart was only evil continually. It's a, it's a stark, stark statement against the heart of man. And Noah and his wife and three sons, their three wives, eight survivors. That's it. 
But it's this, we're studying Cain. We've looked at Cain here in this first section. And it's his family that's really the unregenerate. His family represents these, these people that are, that are uh, in opposition to God. They're, they're godless people. It's a godless, secular society. Tonight, we're going to get to the end of chapter 4, and we'll see the sacred society. So you have Cain and his godlessness, and then you have the God-fearing, Seth. And you and I are our offspring of Seth, not Cain. That's what the Scripture is teaching us here. It's beginning in this uh, section here, beginning in 17 and 18, that we get the, the godless, unrepentant society. And I want you to get that picture because it helps us when we go to the flood. God is showing us the contrast between. Uh, it's always that way, right? Secular, sacred, believing, non-believing. That's really all you have. There's only two kinds of people in the world. Did you know that? There's those that believe and those that don't believe. That's really all there are in the world. And the, there's, among the non-believers, there's quite a variety of, of wickedness in, in, in that category. But there's just really two people, kinds of people in the world. And we see that throughout the Bible. That's what we're seeing in this section. But this godless, unrepentant society, the offspring of Cain, and, and they have these incredible lifespans because you have to remember that they just came out of the garden. The, the pre-diluvial world, the anti-diluvian people live in this, this world that was created by God. And you can go back to Genesis and see how it was created. The Spirit of the Lord hovers over the darkness of the deep, and there's water. There's water in a globe. No land. Remember? And then the land comes later. The land emerges. It's really one continent. It emerges out of the water, and that's this flat, pretty nondescript, or there's not any real high peaks or anything. There are mountains there, but not like there will be after the flood. After this gigantic washbowl takes place, the earth breaks up, the continents split apart. It's a, it's a cataclysmic uh, happening that we're going to see. Again, we'll see that in chapter 6. But right now, we're looking at this society, this kind of flat land. There's no rain. It's, 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 the earth is covered with this mist. There's rivers, this, these four main rivers that run through. And these people were thrown out of the garden, now guarded by cherubim with torches, remember? They can't get back in there. And so they're out of the garden, and they're, they're living the cursed life. But they're really still in a paradise in the sense of the planet. Still has lots of vegetation. It's just harder to get food now. They, it's harder to farm. Things don't come easy anymore because the ground was cursed. That's, that's Adam's curse. But, but there's still lots of wildlife. There's lots of, of uh, uh, plants and trees and, and that kind of thing on this planet, now on the planet. So now we have the description of Cain and Lamech. That's what we looked at last week, his family. It's very wicked. He's the, the great, 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 great grandson of Cain, this man Lamech. And Lamech is nasty. Notice what he does, verse 19. He takes two wives. So right off the bat, you see the perversion of God's law. One man, one woman that we saw back in chapter 1, verse 27. Lamech becomes the prototype. He becomes this, this prototype of a corrupt person. He comes from Cain, great, 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 great grandson, Lamech. They're evil, but they're getting more and more evil. And his evilness is, is shown here in the scripture by the fact that he takes another woman for his wife. That wasn't God's intention. So he perverts God's word. Lamech's two wives give him four children. The, the bigger point is that these early people, Cain's offspring, 
they, they move into a city called Enosh. The Cain builds this city, names it after his firstborn son. And there are a million people that are there. It's very highly developed, very highly skilled people that we find. Look at verse 20. His wife, Ada, remember that's pretty. She bore Jabal, and he was the father of all that dwell in tents and have livestock. So, so Jabal is the guy that, that kind of creates farm life and raises chickens and raises cattle, and he raises sheep and slaughters them for meat and sells them meat and makes clothes out of the skins of these animals. He's the father of that. Verse 21, his brother's name was Jubal, and Jubal was the father of those that were musicians. They play the harp, and they play the flute. So there's music, advanced society. There's, there's agriculture, there's, there's farming, and there's this society, and music as well. And then we have uh, for Zilla, the second wife. Her name was Sweet Voice. She bore Tubal-Cain, and Tubal-Cain was, was the one, he was a craftsman, he was the instructor in how to use metal, metal, the metal of different kind, bronze and iron and all that kind of stuff, and then you have the sister Tubal-Cain, uh, a sister of Tubal-Cain, Nama, which we don't really have what she did, but these fine artisans and musicians and craftsmen that worked metal and all these things and building, this, building the city, developing all of this, kept livestock, they're the first industrious people. Not at all like the Stone Age, the Bronze Age that has been promoted in our schools and the things that you've heard. And you thought that you came from a knuckle-dragging, bent-over, ape-like, cave-dwelling, just flesh-eating, drooling caveman. But that's not what the Bible says. And I think it's really important, again, for you to understand what the Scripture says. You've been taught a lie, people. I raised my kids this way. You've been, you're going to be taught a lie at school. I believe it's a lie. It's non-scientific. It's not corroborated. There's no transitional forms. We went through this in the earlier stages of Genesis. Scripture says that these prehistoric people were highly developed, very skilled, built a city, had all this industry going on in it. So what does this teach us? Here's what it teaches. No evolution in the Bible. Evolution is not in the Bible. You can choose to believe it if you want to, but it's not in the Bible. Don't try to put it in here. People try to wedge it in. I'm going to put it in there because I believe in theistic evolution or I believe in uh, the gap theory. Whatever you, whatever you think, whatever you want to shove in there with a, you can do whatever you want with the Bible, can't you? But if you're just going to read it, and believe it, as I do, man, your eyes are going to open up. You're going to have wisdom and understanding. In my opinion, my belief, this is what the Scripture teaches. The sad truth is not only is there no mention of, of evolution, that's a good thing, but there's no mention of God in this society, Cain and Lemek, godless, evil people. And they're the, they represent that throughout this section. That's what we're looking at. And Lemek again, is a rebellious, wicked thug. We looked at that last week real quick, verse 23. Then Lemek said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. There's power there. He says, wives, listen to me, for I have killed a man for just scratching me, wounding me. And he was young. He hurt me. I killed him. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lemek, then me, I'm going to be avenged seventyfold or 77-fold. Again, Lamech is much worse than Cain. Well, you thought Cain was bad. Lamech is much worse. He brags to his wife about murdering a young man. He has total disregard 
for God's word. He twists God's word here, and he boasts about his violence against man. In other words, if you kill me, if you touch me, pardon me, if you touch me, I'm going to kill you. He said it to his wife. He said it to everyone around. Again, he's the picture, Lemek is the picture of, of a, just a wicked man. And he represents the society, Cain's family. Although they were um, industrious, although they were advanced, they were wicked, they were godless. Kind of like our society now. Think about it. Very industrious. We're so advanced because we have cell phones. Aren't we so advanced? You'd think we'd be done with war. You'd think we'd be done with violence. You'd think, be, no, we're just more wicked we're, we're, just, we're living in the same kind of a thing. It, it just kind of goes around and around again. But Cain is the one that represents all this. So the question here, who do we come from? Did we come from Cain? Who did mankind descend from? That's where we get the second division of chapter 4. That's why I had to tell you about that. And this is where our study really begins tonight in verse 25. This is the second section of chapter 4. And it deals with my point here tonight is Seth and a sacred society. First we had Cain and a wicked secular society. Now we have Seth and a sacred society. And again, it's in these two verses, 24 and 25, that answer the question, from whom did we descend? If Cain represents this corrupt secular society, then it's Seth and Noah. Seth and Noah represent a sacred and God fearing society. Notice verse 25, and Adam knew his wife again. So now we've, we've already seen them. He's already, have ki- already had kids, but now he's going to, he knows his wife again. We all know what that means without going into detail. And she bore a son and named him Seth. And here's why, for God has appointed another seed instead of Abel. That was her good son who was killed by her bad son, Cain. And then verse 26, and as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. Now, there's a dramatic difference going on in this, these two verses than the previous in chapter 4. Cain murdered his brother. Then his great-great-great-great-grandson Lemek kills whoever gets in his way. There's evil in the heart of man there. But now we see a godly man. A godly man that comes from Adam and Eve. That's why it begins again almost here in verse 23. Everything's beginning again. Adam knew his wife again. She bore him a sa- a, another son, and his name was Seth there. He's a godly son of Adam and Eve. Now, it's interesting because of the length of Adam's life, 930 years. He had many, many, many sons and daughters, the Scripture says. We don't know how many. But in this large family that he had, he, he had uh, been a part of this family, this family that's on the earth here. And his family, as he's watching his family and watching his kids, and he's having more children, and they're having children, he's watching his family, they're just spiraling out of control. They're moving further and further away from God. Because remember, Cain and Abel, the first thing they did was they worshipped, Right? Each one had a, they brought a, uh, an offering before the Lord. So Adam and Eve taught their kids how to worship. They taught them. But Cain's worship for God was careless. He could care, he just picked up some barley, threw a little corn in there, gave it to the Lord. Whatever, Lord, here, take this. And God didn't accept it. 
Abel's offering was accepted, and that's where, the, that's where the rub came in for him. He was jealous, and he was prideful, and he killed his, his brother. So you have this wicked man, Cain, but then you have now a new born to the family. His name is Seth. And at this point in time in our story, there's millions of people that are populating the planet. And I gave you the details of that a couple of weeks ago and how if you just took every five years, Adam and Eve had a child and they, they bore children from the time till they were five or 600 years old. I mean, they lived till 900 years, so half of their life. That's a lot of kids, right? 100 or so. And then those kids had kids. That's just very conservative every five years. But if you, you know, some people have kids every nine months or, you know, some, some do. We never did. We kind of spread ours out. But some people have, some families have two in one year. I mean, that'd be hard. I think it'd be really hard, but it could happen. But in a conservative estimate, estimate, you'd have at this time millions, about 7 million people, they estimate, 7 to 10 million people on the planet. And the interesting thing is they're all going to die. They're all descendants of Cain, these, these Cainites, these Cainites that are going to die. Only eight will survive. But the eight that survive aren't from Cain. They're from Seth. And you have to get that in your mind as you go through this section. And the amazing thing is that Adam, he lived through all that. The death of his secondborn Abel. Then his firstborn Cain is kicked out, banished, sent to Nod. And Lemek's wickedness and his secular culture that he builds the city, Adam saw all the corruption. He saw it all. He watched it. Can you imagine as a, as a father, as a man that used to walk with God every day, that sinned against God by choice, by volition, and now he's seeing the ramifications of all of this. Can you imagine how guilty he felt? I I know that the things that I've done and I see my children do that aren't really the right thing to do, they bring guilt to me. I look at them and go, oh, God, forgive me. I'm so sorry that they said that or did that because I taught them that. And I'm sure that Adam felt the same way. How many times did he go to Eve and say, oh, why do we do that? Why do we, why do we disobey? Look, look at our grandkids. Look at our great-great-grandkids. Look at our great-great-great-great-grandkids. Look what they're doing. Can you imagine? I mean, think about that. I, excruciatingly painful, I'm sure. Now, here in verse 25, Adam and Eve have another son, Seth. His name means offspring or appointed. Notice the end of verse 25, for God has appointed another seed, another seed for me instead of Abel. Abel died at the hands of his brothers. So the, right now, Eve is saying, I'm going to name him this because God has has given me another seed. So she's looking forward. Adam is looking forward to the seed that was promised, the seed that would crush the head of the serpent. Remember back in, in chapter 3. And so we're seeing this here playing out, and, and I'm sure that's what they're looking for. So now they name this new son, Seth. He's new hope. He um, represents this new seed, and maybe he's going to crush the serpent's head. Maybe he'll finally do it. I mean, again, Adam and Eve are li living for a long time, and they're looking for, looking for, looking for. Just like you and I look for, look for the Lord to come back, right? We, we're looking for that. They were looking for the Messiah is really what they were looking for, the seed. So this seed, they knew it would come. So Seth, this new line, Seth, is a new succession of people, a whole brand new attitude, very refreshing, 
They have a different attitude when it comes to God. They love God. Notice at the end of verse 26, look what it says. Then men began to do what? Call on the name of the Lord. You see that there? That's really important for you to see. Pay special attention to that because now this is a new sacred society. Cain society rejected, rejected, evil, wrong, sinful. Seth society, they began to call on the name of the Lord. So probably the most important point that I want to make is my next one here. They, they worship God. That's what it says here. And when you read that verse, they call on the name. They, they began to call. They weren't. But now, independent of Adam and Eve, they're calling on the name of the Lord. That means they, they pray to the Lord like you do. You go home tonight and something's bothering you. What do you do? You call on the name of the Lord. So it has the idea of, of calling out in prayer. It has the idea of worshiping publicly, worshiping the Lord in a public way, proclaiming and praising, all of those have to do with that, calling on the name of the Lord. They were calling out to the name of the Lord. They were calling on the name of the Lord. Now, they already have music, right? They have instruments, J-Ball and his musicians and all. So they already had that. So they're probably already worshiping, and, and they have this opportunity to worship. So right here in the middle of a corrupt society, Cain in the city, millions of people there, you have this remnant, these people that are calling or believing on the name of the Lord. They're worshiping the Lord in a right way, in an acceptable way, like Abel. Abel, his offering was accepted. Cain's wasn't accepted. So they're calling on the name of the Lord. They have the right heart. They have the right attitude. Notice Hebrews 11.4. Look at this verse. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was Righteous. He was righteous. So these people are like Abel in that way. They, they're calling on the name of the Lord. They're righteous people. They love God. Different society. Secular, wicked, Cain, Lemek. Seth, the line of Seth. Adam and his new son, Seth. There's a new beginning here. There's always a new beginning in the Lord. And that's what you're seeing in this, this section here. And they worship. And we worship the name of the Lord. We do the same thing even today. We worship the Lord. And it's really interesting. They worshiped him because he was their creator. We worship God we, for the same reason. He, all, the, all that he's created, they worship him because he forgives their sin. We worship God because we're forgiven. They were worshiping the Lord, the Lord of grace, the Lord of forgiveness, the Lord of, of all creation and mercy. So in the middle of the dark days of Cain, you have this bright light of Seth. That's what the scriptures are teaching here so how do they learn to worship God? Or who taught them to worship God? Well, obviously, their parents. It was Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve taught them to worship the Lord. In the line of Cain, there's no mention of worshiping the Lord, calling out to the Lord. But here in the line of Seth, they worshiped. They restored this, this in this sacred society, this worship of God. And beginning in chapter 5, now, we're going to look at this big, long, long, long chapter about genealogy. It just goes on and on, but there's some really good stuff here. There's always good stuff. If you read genealogy, you can read it in Matthew. You can read it in different books of the Bible. There's genealogy. There's a purpose for that genealogy. And what it's teaching us, in this case, there's two things. We're going to learn how many generations from Adam to Noah. That's the key thing in chapter 5. But 
we can trace from there Noah all the way to Christ, the Messiah, the seed of the one. It's, it's really, that's what it's pointing to, the seed that's going to crush Satan. That was promised back in Genesis chapter, chapter 3. So again, as I'm telling you this, I, I think it's really important you understand Genesis. You, you can't understand the rest of the Bible unless you get this. This passage about genealogies has an, uh, an impact, and it's important for you and I to understand. That's why the Bible starts with Adam, and then the genealogy of Cain. We just read that. And then we have Seth and his genealogy through the end of chapter 4. And now we have this family line of the Messiah through chapter 5. So we begin chapter 5 with 10 generations of faithful men. That's the key. We're, we're looking at, at Seth now. Cain is off the scene. And Cain and all of his family and followers, they're going to drown in the flood. And we're going to look at Seth's line and go all the way down through Seth's line. And we'll start in verse 1 here. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness. After his image, his name was Seth. So here we go. We're going to continue in, in Seth's line now all the way through to Noah and then on in the rest of the scriptures to uh, the Messiah. Now, the first thing I want you to notice about this genealogy, and I've got this little picture I found. This is kind of a timeline. It's the easiest one I could find, kind of colorful. You can see the number of years each one lived. There's Adam there in yellow at the top, 930 years, and Seth lived 912 years, Enosh, Canaan, Mahalalel, 895, Jared. We're going to read about each one of these. I'm not going to break them down as much, but you can see how long. They, and then there's that one right there about halfway through, Enoch. If you know anything about Enoch, you know why. We're going to look at him. He's, he's awesome. So we're going to stop at Enoch, but I just wanted you to get that quick little picture. But here's what we see when we look at this genealogy. We see from Adam to Noah, 1,656 years. If you were to take all of those numbers that you're giving and the sons and when they were born and the, the genealogy, you're going to get 1,656 years. Adam was 874 years old when Methuselah's son Lamech was born in verse 26 of this chapter, chapter 5. And if you add the remainder of Methuselah's years to that 870-year-old Adam when he had that son Lamech, when you add his his rest of his time, 782 years, you get 600 or 1,656 years. And you go, so what? Why, why is that important? Methuselah died the same year as the flood. And so we have an accurate number of years from Adam. How long did it take God to create the world? How long? One week, right? And then you have 1,656 years to Noah. Okay, and then we have another 2,000 years to Christ. And then from Christ to now, we have another 2,000 or so years. The Bible teaches, and, and I, I'll stand on this, the Bible teaches that the world was created about 4,000 B.C. 4,000 B.C. I believe in a young earth. I believe that what we're living on right now is only about 6,000 years old. Pastor, that's 
so unscientific. Do you know how many people would just cringe and roll in and, and their eyes and think you're just bizarre? Well, I, I don't care. I, I'm following the scriptures. I believe in the scriptures. I believe everything is true here. Well, you know, maybe they didn't count all of the genealogy. Maybe they missed a guy here and a girl there. And, you know, how can you be sure? Well, again, as we look at the scriptures, they give us a clear picture. That's the clear picture that we see again. And these 10 generations that we're going to read about here in Genesis 5, it's important, this covers this 1,656 years from creation to the flood. Remember, this is antediluvian period, this, this time before the flood. That's what this section is all about. So the genealogy of Adam and Seth's family, they refused to follow the culture of their day, the, the sinful uh, secular society. They, they, they wanted to go a different route. They wanted to honor the Lord. They wanted to follow the way of the Lord. When the writer of Hebrews 11 lists all the heroes of faith, he mentions two of the people that are in Genesis chapter 5. They're mentioned right there, Enoch and Noah. Those are the two they're, they're seen as giants of the faith by the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11. The two things about this gene- genealogy or this list of names here in chapter 5. Number one, we get the time of creation to the flood, as I've already said a couple of times. That gives us the age of the earth and the age of man. S- the second thing that we see here is the genealogy and the length of time these people, this antediluvian people lived. And it shows us that the planet was just filled with millions, even billions of people. That's what the scripture teaches. Now, again, this is before the flood. One continent surrounded by water on the planet that we're on right now before it broke apart. And I've shown you pictures of how the planets, how the continents kind of, you can look at them and you can see the drift. They're still drifting in some sense today. But God's going to break it all up. We're going to read about it. We'll study that when we get to chapter 6, 7, and 8. But back in chapter 4, when Cain builds his city, there were 7 to 10 million people. But now there's about 7 billion people on the planet because it's 900 years later. I mean, it's insane when you think about all those people and how long they lived. Why did they live so long? Well, it's because of the less UV rays, all the mist that covered the planet. They were in a perfect situation right out of the garden. Many different, no viruses. Viruses weren't, weren't there at all. So you have these people that are inhabiting the planet. There's tons and tons and tons, billions actually of people, more than, than are in the world today. It's hard to believe, isn't it? But that's, again, what the scriptures teach. Scriptures say that Enoch had a son here at at age 65. Look at verse 21. You'll see that Enoch had a son. His first son was born at, he was 65 years old. And then Noah, down in verse 32, he had three sons. And notice how old he was. You see that there? He was 500 years old. So these people are having children for many, 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 can I say it again? many years. I mean, a long time. They're having lots of kids. That's how the planet got so populated. But here in verse 4, look at verse 4. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years, and he had sons and daughters. In other words, he had a lot more kids. They're not all listed here, but he had a lot more children. Again, an enormous span of time to have kids. You and I 
You know, Esther and I, we had our last child at 40, 37, 37. Glad I remember that. And, and there are some women that can, you can have children to, in your, I've heard about that. Everyone's a 50-year-old gal has a baby. That's, it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. But, but 500, 600, ladies, what do you think? Wow, you're all going, oh, I mean, that makes you kind of go, wow. That's what we're seeing here. This, this, this enormous span of time produce all these kids. That's why the population is so great. Now, here's some really great encouragement from chapter 5. These are godly descendants of Adam. Again, we're not looking at Cain's family, but Seth. They're godly. This is the point here that we're making. In contrast to Cain, we have Seth and his godly family. Here's the application. Even though believers may be in the minority at any given time or place. Sometimes, maybe in your workplace, you're the minority. Maybe in our state, we're the minority. I think Christians are the minority. They're getting beat up all over the place. But God is always watching his people, and he always protects his people, and there's always a remnant of his people. God rewards his faithful people. So whenever you feel like, oh, I'm the only Christian around, you know what? God's, God's going to protect you. God protects his people. In the midst of this ungodly society with billions of people, there's a remnant. There's a worshiping group of people that come from the line of Seth. Think of it this way. In the midst of ungodliness, these, Seth and his family, were godly. In the midst of rebellion, Seth and his family were righteous. There's always a righteous remnant. And you're always going to be overwhelmed by the world and the culture around you. It's no different today than it was then, is it? Think about that. And God got them through it, and God honored them just like he's going to get you through it and honor you because you're faithful and because you love the Lord and you're walking in his ways, as we'll see Enoch did. Another positive thing about this chapter 5 is that these men, Seth, they established godly families. They worked at it, and they trained their children, and their kids followed after their footsteps. There's always the ability to train your family. Train them, teach them, lead them, guide them. Don't give up on your kids. Don't turn them over to somebody else to, to turn them into the world cultural view. The school district is just going to make them like every other evolution, knuckle-dragging believer there at the school. That's, what, that's what's going to happen if they're in school. You have to unlearn the things Teach them to unlearn those things and teach them biblical truth. If you're not doing that, parent, they're going to go the way of all those other people. You've got to teach them. You've got to train them or take them out. I, you know, we decided, Esther and I decided to take our kids out because we couldn't stand it. We, could, we, we believe this is God's calling in our life. And it's not for everybody. Homeschool's not for everybody. But influence your kids for righteousness is for everybody. Seth and his family did it. They lived in a culture that was in, they, they were inundated with a culture. And yet they raised a godly generation that loved the Lord. That's what Genesis 5, it's proof positive that God will help you, that God can assist you as you raise your family. And one more unique fact here. Besides the long lives of these patriarchs, here's my point. There's a repeated phrase here. I want to read it. We're going to look at it, but it was this phrase, and he died, and he died. Death, death, death. We're going to see it 
over and over. And that's because in chapter 4, it tells us what happened. It was Cain. Cain's line is irreverent. And Genesis 5 traces that line. And notice, as we get to Seth's line, Seth's line now, and Adam, coming from Adam, and Adam's sin and Eve's sin. That's what we're, we're thinking about here as we reach verse 5. And so all the days of Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Seth lived 105 years, begot Enosh, and after he begot Enosh, Seth lived 807 years, had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enosh lived 90 years and had a son, Canaan. After he begot Canaan, Enosh lived 815 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Canaan lived 70 years and begot Mahalalel. That's an interesting, Mahalalel. You should say that, it's fun. And he begot Mahalalel. Canaan lived 840 years and he had sons and daughters and all the days of Canaan were 910 years and he died. Mahalalel lived 65 years and had a son then and after he begot Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years, and he had sons and daughters, and so all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. After he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters, so all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. There's that phrase over and over and over again. That's proof that the whole human race now has fallen under Adam's sin. That's what the Bible teaches very clear. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. In Romans 5.14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. So let me give you really quick, here it is. This is harmashiology, harmashiology here, or the doctrine of sin. I, I, I love to read doctrine. This is, this is the doctrine of sin. According to the scriptures, Sin came through one man. What was his name? Adam. That's what the Bible teaches. Very, very clear, very concise. When Adam fell, you fell, I fell, we all fell because Adam fell. And he's known, he's known, listen, this, is, this concept, listen to the word, but think about it. Adam becomes our federal head. First to sin, and we're all under him. We're under him. He's the federal head of sin. And because he sinned, we've all sinned. That's what the scripture teaches about the doctrine of sin. Because Adam sinned, we've all sinned, all of us. And Adam is the sinner. He did it by choice. So we are Adam's offspring, and it's our nature to sin. Why do I sin? Why do I want to sin? Because Adam, Adam fell, so I'm in a a bent condition. I, I was created to be upright and serve the Lord, but it's all came crashing down when Adam sinned. And because Adam sinned, all his offspring sinned. And because they sinned, he died, he died, he died. God told Eve, in the day you eat it, you shall surely die. You're going to see death. 
They saw death of a son. They saw death in relationship. They saw all kinds of death. Now they're all dying after hundreds of years of life. They're dying. But this is the doctrine of sin here, all a result of Adam's fallen state. So even though we're made in the image of God, you and I, we're made in God's image, we're all possessors of what's known as the Adamic nature. The Adamic nature is because Adam fell, I, I'm a fallen. I'm a, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I can't save myself. I, I, I need someone to intervene. The seed of the woman that's going to crush the, Adam and Eve, look for it. Look for the seed. Look for the seed. And Seth was born. So they're looking for it. Messiah's coming, but doesn't quite come at this point in time. But your bent towards sin and rebellion against God is the Adamic nature. That's what the Bible teaches. It leads, that Adamic nature, if not in, it's going it's to lead to death. It leads to death, this, this nature. When we come to Christ, we're spared from ultimate separation from God. Only in Christ are we spared from that ultimate separation and that perishing, the Bible calls it. John 8, 51, look at this verse behind me. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my words, Jesus says, he shall never see death. You see that? And what he means by that, what Jesus is saying, that future separation from God, you'll never see it because you have faith in Christ. Your body, this temple, it's temporary. It's going to succumb to disease. It's going to get old. It's going to get tired. It'll succumb to something. You can die of a common cold. You get so old, your body can't fend it off, and you're going to die one day. Your body is not made to last forever, which really is a good thing when you think about it. It really is a good thing. We're going to shed this body like a, a, a butterfly. I love the ugly little caterpillar, you know, with all the legs and nasty looking women look at him, ah, looks like a snake, you know, big old fat gnarly. And then they go into a cocoon and they come out like, where I now at the mountains, we have these beautiful butterflies flying around. I was out on my patio the other day, my, my deck, and this butterfly came flitting around, my big butterfly, big yellow and black wings, beautiful creature. That's what God wants for you. You're going to be changed through death and given a new body. We have nothing to fear in terms of death. And Jesus says here in John 8, listen, if anyone keeps my word, you'll never see death, that ultimate separation, the ultimate misery in hell. Why? Because Jesus has become our Savior. Hebrews 9.27, look at this verse. It's appointed once, once for every man to die and after this judgment. That's what the Bible says. That's what the unregenerate man has to fear. I don't fear that. You know why? Because I'm in Christ. I've been taken out of sin and placed in Christ. Positionally, I'm saved. Remember the assurance of salvation we talked about the last couple of weeks on Sunday morning. Very important, that helmet of salvation. Salvation has those three aspects. I'm saved from past sin. sin. That's um, justification. I'm saved from present sin. That's sanctification. And then I have a future glorification. I look forward to it. When the body is shed, the body dies, and I'm changed like the butterfly, uh, the cocoon, the worm, changed into a beautiful butterfly, given a new body. That's ultimate salvation. That's the future. And we have all that to look forward to. I, I love that. So this chapter, chapter 5, is proof that everyone died 
except for one man. This is where the story gets really good here. And we're told twice here, it's very interesting, we're told twice that Enoch, my next point, Enoch walked with God. He walked with God. Look at verse 21. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah at 65 years of age, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. But instead of saying, and he died here, and look at verse 24, and Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. What a beautiful thing. Now, let's, let's get into this really quick before I run out of time. But Enoch, he stands out in this list of people that are dying because he's the only man who didn't die because it says God took him. That means instead of dying, he was lifted off the planet somehow. God just took him off the planet. He was alive and God just took him. One moment he was on earth, the next moment he was in heaven. Does that remind you of something? Those of you that study eschatology, those of you that know what's going to happen before, before the tribulation, what's going to happen? It's called the rapture. Guess what happens in the rapture? The Bible says those that are dead in Christ will rise first, and we which are alive and remain will be caught up, raptured. We're going to be transformed, boom, and we go to heaven. Enoch becomes this type of the rapture here, he walked with God, and he was not for God, took him. He didn't die. He wasn't kidnapped. Nobody killed him. I mean, look at what it says here. He just walked with God and ended up in heaven. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful truth? In Hebrews chapter 11, look at this verse behind me on the screen. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. It's here in Genesis 5 that says Enoch walked with God. Hebrews said that he lived by faith and he pleased, he pleased God in Hebrews 11.5. And he and Noah are the only two people, they're the only two people in the Bible that are specifically said to have walked with God. Now, we've been studying Ephesians and chapter 4 says walk Worthy, right, Christian? We're supposed to walk worthy. We, there's a lot we could say about the worthy walk. It's, it's done by choice. Enoch is a great example because you know, Enoch loved the Lord. Enoch did everything to please God, and he walked with the Lord. He spent time with the Lord. He, he worshiped the Lord. He talked to the Lord. He was, and, and he was a preacher of righteousness, as, as we'll see here. But the question, what does it mean to walk with God? And the answer comes in, in the book of Jude. I'm going to show you the verse. You could turn there if you want. Jude, one chapter, Jude, verse 14 is where we get more insight. But look at this verse. I'll put it up behind me. Enoch was a preacher, and he prophesied against false teachers of his day. Remember, Seth was in a secular society, Seth and the remnant. They, were, they, were, they stood out from all the wicked people, Cain, Lamech, all those. Jude says this, now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, we just looked at the generations, Genesis 5, that's how Jude knows this, he's got the scriptures, seventh from Adam, Enoch prophesied about these men also saying, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly. He's speaking in his time against those that were Cainites, those that were 
of the family of Lamech. He's speaking out against them. The Lord's going to come with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So Enoch, he's describing the ungodliness of the society, the Canaanites, the society that he lived in. He's a preacher. He goes out and he preaches against that. And that's why he walked with God. Remember John the Baptist? Jesus said he's the greatest man that ever lived. What did John the Baptist do? He went around telling people to do what? What did he tell them? <laughs> Repent. Stop sinning. Stop it. Wash yourself and put on clean clothes and follow the Lord and, and to prepare the way of the Lord. And Enoch was doing the same thing. That's what makes him such a... How do you walk with... What does it mean to walk with the Lord? He knew the scriptures. He prophesied against evil. He lived a righteous life. Enoch becomes that example for us. He spoke for God, and he spoke against the culture. He was a righteous man. Again, for you and I, what does it mean to walk with God? This is what it means. Follow the word of the Lord. That's what it means. Know the scriptures and obey. That's what it means. Don't cut corners. Don't cheat. Don't think that you're going to get away with it just because you fit in with a culture around you. No, you stand out. You, you should stand out from the culture around you. Enoch is, a, uh, is that example. You follow where God leads. You, you set your agenda to God's timetable, not yours, not what's beneficial for you, not what's beneficial for anybody but the Lord. You obey the Lord. It's so easy to say, you know what, my flesh wants this, and I want to go here, and I want to buy that, and I want to own this, and is that what God wants for you? You can either go the way of Enoch or you can go the way of Cain. See, that's the difference. Cain, Enoch followed the Lord. He walked in the Lord's ways. Very important to understand that. One day, Enoch and God, they were just walking along, and God said, Enoch, why don't you just come home with me? And they just kept walking, and he ended up going to heaven. Isn't that a beautiful story? I love that. It's so, so wonderful. God took him off the planet, brought him into heaven, Never experienced death like everyone else. Just that one man. Again, the picture of the, the rapture. Here's the verse. I need to keep going through, but there's that verse, 1 Thessalonians 4. And here's the important point here. Enoch, he was a preacher of righteousness. He lived in an ungodly generation, but he walked close to the Lord. Even in a culture of immorality, just like you're in, just like I'm in. You can do this. That's what we're supposed to learn from this. And then the final name to notice here is, is Lemek, the father of Noah. My last point here. Look at verse 28. Lemek lived 182 years and had a son. And he called his name Noah, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord had cursed. After he begot Noah... Lemek lived 595 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Lemek were 777 years, and he died. Now, this is a different Lemek than the Cain's great-great-great-grandson. This is a different one. Remember, I, I explained that last week. They just named their sons after their family. But this, this Lemek is radically different than Cain's great-great-great-grandson here. Uh, this Lemek was from Seth's line. And from that line, we get Noah. The word Noah, or the name Noah, means rest or comfort. 
So Lamech prophesies over his son. Verse 29, he will comfort us in the labor and pain, painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. I love that. Noah becomes this prophet or preacher of righteousness. And he has three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And what we're going to see in this is, is just God's faithfulness to preserve him, God's faithfulness to keep him and, and bring him this line of salvation is going to come through him because Enoch, because Seth's line, because they obeyed the Lord, because they worshiped God, they called on the name of the Lord. These are the people that, that God uses and his Messiah is going to come through these people. But, but here's the, the truth about this section overall. Death reigns. Death is certain. When you die, think about it, the coroner's going to come to your house. I don't know if you've ever faced this. I've been in a lot of houses and people in the fellowship over the years when there's the, the corpse, the, the, the tent is there in the house. The person's not there anymore. As a believer, there's sorrow, but there's not a hopeless sorrow because you know that, that you're going to see that loved one because they knew Christ. They're going to be in heaven. You're going to be there one day. You'll see them. But the coroner is going to fill out the death certificate. And there's a place on that certificate that says, cause of death. And here's, here's the interesting thing about that. If we understand the Bible, the cause of death for every man is what? It's a three-letter word, S-I-N. That's the cause of death. Not sickness or cancer or an accident or old age. Those are all symptoms of that one disease, sin. But God has sent his son to cure the one disease. That's a, that's a really good place for amen, by the way. God has, has sent his son to heal that disease. Amen. Thank you very much. Now I feel like... <laughs> so here's the question tonight as we close. Are you walking like Enoch? Are you walking like Enoch? Or are you walking like a Canite? What's your spiritual life like? Are you following the Lord? Do you allow the Lord to set your pace? Or are you setting your own? Are you following the Lord? Are you letting him call the shots? Are you pleasing the Lord, standing up against the culture around? Or are you inundated and overwhelmed by the culture around you? See, the Christian, we're to stand up. We're to take the lead. We're to lead for righteousness. We're to stand out for the truth. And as we follow the Lord and as we trust in the Lord, we trust him not only for our salvation, but for our daily lives and our daily provision. You can walk like Cain or you can walk like Enoch. It's up to you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word tonight. I thank you for this wonderful truth that emerges from this long chapter with lots of funny names and just genealogy. But Lord, your word is truth and it. It teaches us so many things. And I pray, Lord, for these, your people, that your Holy Spirit would make this truth alive. Lord, that we would walk like Enoch, that we would love you and walk like him and, and be like Seth, people that loved God and, and called upon the name of the Lord. Lord, we love you and we call upon you for the help that we need, for the witness that we share for the life that you've given us, Lord. We're so grateful. I pray, Lord, that, that we 
tonight would just take your word and, and find strength and encouragement that we would understand its truth and apply it. Lord, to, to walk like Enoch. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.